Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. The influencer economy is a term I coined, and it's a way for people to learn how to become an influencer, a self-empowered leader, and to launch their ideas to the world based around things that they love. In the digital age, you don't need to go to business school or be an Ivy League educated person, and you don't need to be rich. Influence is learned, and this show is a program where people can listen to world-famous YouTube creators, top entrepreneurs, and leading writers and podcasters to reverse engineer their careers and success. If you'd like to learn more about the coaching program I'm offering, email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com if you have an idea you want to share with the world. Again, ryan at influencereconomy.com. Again, welcome everyone back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. So happy you're here. I have an amazing guest this week. Francesca Ramsey is a comedian, YouTube creator, and activist. She's currently a writer for the Comedy Central show, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, which is a hysterical show that she now writes for. She also hosts a show called Decoded, which is a YouTube series that you can check out, produced by MTV. The most inspiring part of her career is that she produced a viral video that took off years ago back when viral videos were a thing as she was an early adopter of YouTube and her career skyrocketed after she had a hit video, Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls, and it took off like gangbusters. The video was picked up by MTV, MSNBC, numerous mainstream publications, she was even booked on Anderson Cooper's CNN show within days and weeks of it going live. Francesca told me her career is based on a couple words that she used to describe herself that she wanted to be associated with as a young kid and that she wants to be smart, honest, and funny. And years later, she has lived up to those words and we talk about her prequel backstory and the origin of how she became what she is and there's a lot of lessons and actions for anyone with the creative idea that they want to launch on the internet. Thanks again, Francesca. Without further ado. I asked Francesca what really we could learn from her based on what she's done and how she's done it the right way. She told me this. The biggest thing is just doing the work because I love it. And I think that that's so important because it can be really hard to stay motivated because in creative fields, you hear no a lot. And um, it takes a long time for people to get on board with what you're doing. You have to really believe in yourself. And a big part of that is actually enjoying the work. So it can't just be because you want to be famous or you want to make lots of money because that's not guaranteed. And that also could take a decade and or it could never happen at all and so in order for you to keep at it you have to actually enjoy it so that's really propelled me to keep making things and trying things because I, I really enjoy it I have a lot of fun with what I'm doing now here's the interview in its entirety I edited that part because I thought it was really inspiring when you go to a, a party you're from Florida when you go back home and you see friends or people you haven't seen in 10-15 years how do you describe to them what you do I usually say that I make socially conscious comedy videos. So I try to take subjects that are really important and usually difficult to talk about and find creative ways to address them through humor, characters, parody, and just vlogs of me talking straight to the camera. And I also host a web series for MTV News called Decoded. And most recently I started as a writer contributor at The Nightly Show on Comedy Central. That's awesome. Uh, that's great. You're, you have a busy street. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to New York. I'm yeah, sorry. That's, <laughs> city for you. Um, so congratulations on writing for the Larry Wilmore show. Thanks. That's a recent uh, a thing that just happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm approaching week four. Week four. And then Decoded as well. How many seasons have you been on that show? Um, so our seasons are like 12 episodes. So I, I think we're like in season three now. So you're like a, you're a seasoned TV professional at this point. 
Um, well, Dakota's actually only online, so oh, I'm, I'm really not a seasoned TV person at all. This is my first um, TV gig. I mean, I've done TV appearances before, um, but this is my first like full-time job TV thing. And you're a comedy writer on the show? Yeah, I'm a writer and contributor. Oh, that's awesome. So now you've had this success. You know, you came from the internet, and you uh, had this great video that came out. Uh, what three or four years ago? Oh yeah, it's been four years now. And uh, at the time, it was dialing into internet YouTube culture because it was shit white girls say to black girls. Is that right? Right. Yeah, and it was a parody of uh, shit girls say, which had come out about a year before my video had. And, and the shit girls say, and pardon everyone, we're gonna say shit. So I, <laughs> I have to mark this as uh, as as mature audiences only for the content, but uh, the. The beauty of it was that you sort of took this internet phenomenon and twisted it around and made this funny parody video that took off like wildfire. And it was on, you know, ABC, MSNBC. There's an amazing interview with Anderson Cooper that you had about a week after uh, the video came out. So what was it like, you know, making a video and having it pop so much? I mean, it was... uh... It was ridiculous. I mean, there's just really no way to be prepared for that. I've been making videos for about six years before um, that one went viral. So I've been making videos for a while. It was really just like a fun hobby for me. I maybe made a few dollars to pay my cell phone bill or go out to eat or buy something cute for myself. And so when that happened, it completely changed my world. You know, I was working as a graphic designer and I was just getting so many awesome opportunities. Like I got my agent from that. I got lots of auditions and writing opportunities and speaking gigs. And I I had to quit my full-time job. I just couldn't take all of those things on and work a nine-to-five at the same time. Um, So it really kind of put me on the path towards working in entertainment full-time, which is what I always really wanted to do. I just had no idea that a YouTube video would make that possible. And I, I saw an interview you wrote uh, or you spoke about how, you know, you saw the the type of videos that were popping on YouTube at the time. So when you create a video, like, can you just describe exactly the process that went into it and what the, the video is about? And I'll, yeah. link, I'll link to it in the description. Okay, cool. So um, the original meme, Shit Girl Say, um, was a guy in a wig dressed as a girl going through all of the stereotypical things that girls say. It's like a very fast paced, short video where he's talking straight to camera and doing a lot of one-liners. And in true YouTube fashion, lots of people did parodies. And it's a great concept because it can be, you know, specific and relate to lots of different people. So, you know, there was shit guys say, shit moms say, yoga teachers, vegans, you know, musicians, sports players, like whatever it is, someone made a video that was very specific to who they were or, you know, someone that they interacted with regularly. And um, when I saw... These videos kind of fun. It's like they they would just show up on my Facebook feed. Oh, my God. They were everywhere. They were all over. Shit Asian moms say. Right. My friend sharing that video. And then, you know, people were laughing. And it was like, it really resonates for, you know, there's so many different types of these videos that were were massive. It's really focused on identity. And that's, that's, you know, that was really kind of like a turning point in the internet. Like, this was way before BuzzFeed was doing... You know, BuzzFeed has really capitalized on identity content, and this was really kind of like the first wave of that. And when I saw this happening, I thought, oh, I would really love to do something, but I wasn't really sure what. And I had seen um, Shit Girl Say, and um, at the time, the one that was blowing up on my Facebook was Shit Black Girl Say, and I just really didn't relate to it. It was a guy in a wig, and he was saying like very stereotypical things about black women. Um, and as someone who is black, but grew up in the suburbs, it was just not relatable to me. And so when I was home for Christmas is when I kind of came up with the idea of making it shit white girls say to black girls. And initially I just was going to make it shit white girls say, and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband is the one who was like, no, 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 people are not going to understand that. And I thought, no, it's going to be me in a blonde wig. It'll make sense. And he said, no, I think you have to say to black girls. Otherwise, they're not going to get that this is a specific relationship between you and this character. And I was really worried about it. I thought, look, that's not the meme, though. And I I think I'm changing it too much. 
But it actually was perfect because it really kind of ushered in like the next phase of the meme because I was the first person to say to someone else and make it really specific. And so then lots of people kind of started creating their own videos in that same genre of, you know, things that girls say to gay guys or things that, um, you know, men say to women who are single or whatever it is. And so um, it kind of really re-energized the meme in a cool way. But it's it's, it's funny because what you say is like you're, you're wearing a white wig and you're black. If this is an audio podcast. Just to imagine people <laughs> they put that together. But yeah. Um, but it's like people saying things like, that's so ghetto. Right. Or, or, or like, just... can I touch your hair? Or not to be racist, you know? And um, it's, I, what I think was so funny to me is that I, in my mind, I had seen all these other videos do so well. And I think at the time, um, Ship Black Girls Say had maybe like two or 300,000 views, which was a lot. And I thought, well, if I could get a few hundred thousand views, like that would be huge for me. You know, because my videos did okay, but very rarely did they pass 50, 60,000 views. So in my mind, that's really what I was kind of aiming for. I was not prepared for how many people would relate to this video in the sense of being the only black person in their community and dealing with some of these insensitive questions that are oftentimes very unintentionally hurtful. Not to sound racist, but... Right, exactly. But that's something that I've heard so many times, but I did not realize how many people had also heard that. So I was not prepared for a million views in one day or six million views in a week. Like that never entered that's into amazing. my mind. That's no, amazing. I, I mean, and then this is a great segue into um, your media around it because you showed up on, you know, BET, MSNBC, and this Anderson Cooper interview right. is incredible. And it's incredible because it was like a week later, suddenly you're like popping up on his show, which <laughs> which was a thing four years ago. And, you know, at one point he was like potentially going to take over for Regis Philbin you right. know, and, and be like whatever, you know, Michael Strahan is now on Regis and Kelly. Mm-hmm. Or, and uh, and then, you know, that never panned out. So he did the show and it was pretty big. And the how was that experience? Like, did they email you and say, hey, we want you to come on because this video's taken off so much? Yeah, I mean, it was it was the like most bizarre week of my life. I mean, I just had emails from every major news publication and agents and studios and Anderson Cooper was in there and they said they wanted to build an episode around my video and talk about the backlash and why people were so, why did it resonate with people? But why did it make people so upset? Um, And, you know, I said, sure. Like I thought it was a great opportunity and I really was just so not prepared. I think I did the best I could possibly do for my first national television appearance. People were so serious. They were very offended. Some white people people in the crowd. People were really upset. It's like like the stereotypes of the video were manifesting on Anderson Cooper. (laughs) Yeah, it was really funny. One woman in the audience stood up and she was on the verge of tears. She was like, you're a racist. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like. This is literally my daily life experience. Like, I'm not racist against you. And, um, and then another woman said, if a white person did that, then that would be racist. Yeah. And you know, I think the thing is, is with this video and a lot of the content, you know, because I do make comedic content. You're about, a comedian. Like, this is yeah. a funny video. You're. But I think what's tough for a lot of white people to understand is like power dynamics. You know, like people will say things like, well, you can say the N word, but if I say it, it's racist. And it's like, well, there's a historical context there behind me taking back a word that has been used to harm me and you taking a word that I'm asking you, please don't say that. It makes me uncomfortable the same way that, you know, if you have a nickname for your family friend someone else using that nickname with them, they might not be comfortable because they don't know you or, um, you know, or maybe you tease your baby brother about his weight or, you know, or something embarrassing. It's just not the same. And I think that when you talk about especially issues concerning racism, a lot of times people say, well, if I did that, it would be different. And you say, yes, that is the world that we live in. Everything is not the same. We don't have the same consequences. We don't have the same experiences. And that's not a bad thing. That's just the world that we live in. And it's like that for 
everything, not not just conversations about race, but that's really difficult for a lot of people to understand. And, and, and now in the internet age, especially with this presidential election really exemplifying the extreme nature of you can't really be medium on the internet anymore. It's, <laughs> you know, you're either hot or you're cold. Right. And so there's right. nothing in between. And that's sadly the nuances of a lot of what we talk about in conversation on the internet are not picked up. And yeah, and it goes with your comments on this video as well. Oh my God. I mean, internet, <laughs> Whatever my, you do, my, don't read the comments. <laughs> yeah, don't read the comments. My friend Aaron Dode, he, he says that internet comment threads are like the Roman Coliseum of the modern day. And the it's just like, are you not entertained? And <laughs> people just looking to to jump on one side or the other of these extreme positions. Yeah, I think that, I mean, anytime that you can say something anonymously, people are going to, you know, the, the, the positive side is that people are going to be really honest and you can get some really revealing things that people might not normally say if their name was attached to it. But on the inverse side, you get a lot of people who are very honest and say things that are horrible and they would never say in real life because they fear the consequences of what they've said. Um, and again, when it comes to talking about identity politics, especially race, but you see it with gender, you see it with LGBT issues, um, people say really, really horrible things. And it sucks, but at the same time, it makes me, it tells me that what I'm doing is important because it, it's making people uncomfortable and it's making people address topics that maybe they haven't before and that's kind of like this visceral visceral response that kind of comes out of them so when you talk about yourself or at least back then even did you identify yourself as a youtube youtuber or youtube creator or as a comedian um i would say that i was like an actress comedian who made youtube videos you know i um i really only dabbled full time on YouTube for about two years. And it was really, really hard. I think there's so many people that are super successful at it. It takes a level of dedication um, that I don't know that I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, so my, my, my podcast, when I started it, and um, I, you're completely resonating with me because <laughs> people don't understand the amount of art and editing and perfection that goes into creating something like a YouTube video or podcast episode for one episode, let alone right. doing it every week. Every single to do week. It twice a week. And, and not just that, like the promotion too. Like you can't just make the video or make the podcast and just sit back and let people watch it. Like you have to be out there grinding to get people to watch and to share it and to find new topics so that your video can trend on Facebook or, you know, hop on a hashtag or whatever it is. And, that takes a lot of time and money. Like you got to buy equipment and costumes and, and you know, a three minute video can take five or six hours to shoot, film and edit. Um, With five and, or six hours for a three minute video. Yeah. I mean, depending on what it is, like if you've got characters or. So that's um, like an hour and 45 minutes of, for every one minute, roughly. I mean, when I work by myself, yeah, pretty Almost much. two hours a minute. It depends. If, 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 if I've got multiple characters in a video, even if I've just got two characters in a video, that definitely increases the amount of time it takes because I have to shoot both characters. Um, and that means, you know, setting up lighting in a different location and putting on costumes and makeup. And I do everything by myself. So, um, you know, the time and dedication that it takes to sustain a YouTube presence I never felt I ever got to a place where I was like yeah I'm a youtuber I'm someone who loves YouTube and has used it to um, share my content and, and foster a community but I'm, I think I'm a little bit more than a youtuber per se and so you when you you know I call the, the concept of catching lightning in a bottle mm -hmm. like you have this viral success that is so impossible to manufacture it has to just come right at the right time and i used to work in marketing and advertising for companies i was at machinima early on and oh cool people would say we want this video to go viral <laughs> i would say that's really the wrong approach and I, I would in my head i'm not thinking that i'm like are you crazy like that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard you know you're like thinking that you can make something go viral that's not how it works anymore maybe six years ago possibly right 
Um, but you had this moment, and it's like lightning struck. You took it and ran with it. Like, do you think that you were engineered to harness the success? And like, how old were you when it happened? Like, do you think it helped maybe that you know you had a job and that you were out in the real world and you know you weren't just like 19 years old and suddenly like it struck and you, like you were very equipped to to yeah. handle it. I don't know. I mean, I looking back, I don't know that I was equipped to handle it. I think I did a lot of really cool things. Yeah, like what did you I, do? Because you went on tours. You yeah, I spoke at a lot of colleges. Um, I like was developing a show for a year. I had like a development deal that didn't go anywhere. Um, I worked on like a possible book that didn't go anywhere. Which you know, these are things that were super amazing opportunities that I don't really think I was ready for. But okay, I think interesting. That yeah, I just think that I, um, you know, I had been working a regular job. I went to school for acting initially, and then I changed majors and studied graphic design. So you went to Michigan, work- and then yeah. you transferred to school in Florida. Right, I went to the Art Institute in Florida, and so I had done stand up for like four years, and and then I got a job as a designer, and I just was pulling these long hours, and so YouTube was really kind of my place to just try fun things because I didn't have time to audition or go do stand-up. So I was kind of out of the game for a minute when my video went viral. So, you know, my video went viral in January and suddenly I was going out for pilot season and I hadn't auditioned in years. And, you know, I was being asked to write a show. I'd never written a show before in my life. What type of show? um, Like a scripted comedy show, like based on not really based on shit my girls say, but like kind of based on my life and, and some of the themes in that video um, and I, I was paired with an awesome writer who I'm still friends with to this day, but I don't think that I was, you know, I wasn't young. I was 27, I think I was 27 and, um, 27 or 28, I think. And it was just so overwhelming. There's just nothing that can prepare you for that. And if I could go back and do things differently, which, you know, I can't. Um, I think that I would have been a little bit more strategic. Um, I didn't come up with a content schedule. I, I, I still wasn't posting regularly. I think that I could have harnessed the momentum of just like the traffic I was getting a little bit better. Um, but I don't regret any of it. It, it. it led me to where I need to be. And I think I have seen some really young people whose content has gone viral and they've really capitalized on it. But the internet today is very different than what it was in 2012. You know, I, I didn't know anyone that had gone viral before. I didn't know anyone that was making a living off of their YouTube channel. And so it was very scary and new. And now there's really a model, you know, now people come out with merchandise. Yeah. Now people go, you know, people come out with an album and then they go, they have products to sell. They have products. They move to LA and they go do, they, or they go out to LA for a month and they do videos with every single big YouTuber. And those are not things that I did and it wasn't right for my career. But if I had done those things, I think that it would have put me in a different place. Um, but like again, I think that I added up where I need to be, and um, well, there's always like the adage of like, the happiest people in life, like it's just for, for without doubt, there are people that sort of accept that they did life a certain way, mm-hmm. and you can't live looking backwards with regretting what you do, right? Because all of us are in a great place, regardless. You know, we, I mean, you're you're writing for an amazing TV show, and you've exactly, you know, it's like. <laughs> Right. So it's like almost like there could be a lot worse situations going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I have no complaints. And, and that's like for you, exactly it's almost like you didn't you didn't know. Like it wasn't there no. Was no playbook. No, there was absolutely no like not. there was no like, oh, your video got five million views. Read this playbook. Mm-hmm. And in it says move to L.A. for a month. Do collabs with everyone else who's got big channels. Write your, your pilot. Get your book manuscript mm-hmm. ready. And, right. you know, it's like it's different now. Like it's almost like everything is more professional. And back then that was more of an innocence that, Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so funny now because now when I have friends that have gone viral, like they text me instantly. They're like, I'm freaking out. What do I do? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And now, like you said, there is a model now. And, and also now I think a lot of people are creating content for the purpose of going viral. You know, people are, are, and, and like you said before, there's no guarantee, but there, what I always tell people is you can lay the foundation with good, consistent content, topical content, and 
eventually you will have something that has the potential to do well. That does not mean the same for everyone. Viral for you could be a few hundred thousand views. Viral for someone else is a few million. You know, I know people that have had videos hit a million and they're disappointed. They say, this video should have been bigger. It's just like, you just can't orchestrate that. You can just make good stuff. You use the word engineer. (laughs) Right. People really do spend time engineering what their launch is going to be for something, you know, months in advance for a YouTube series or, right. And they were like in high school, you know, and mm-hmm. you go to conferences like VidCon and people running around like they're teenagers and they all want to be Viners or Instagram creators. Yeah. I was part of the, um, the creator mentoring program at VidCon and it was really awesome. I met with so many young kids who were just so smart and passionate, but I met with two girls that were working on an idea for a short film and they had a PowerPoint and I just, it blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, you are 14 years oh old my gosh. and they had like an audience development strategy oh for a short film. It's like and the I new show thought, mom, right? When you're what like- is going on? But they were so smart and it was really cool to say like, wow, when I started making videos, it yeah. was just fun and now people are saying this is could be my career this could springboard me to something else and so they're really going into it with a lot more preparation and a lot more strategy than people did six years ago 10 years ago when i started making videos yeah it's uh it's amazing and it's like everyone wants to get heard now and now there's but there's you know so much more noise out there Mm -hmm. that just because you want to get heard doesn't mean you're going to be so you have to be strategic in your thinking it's just we reached this point where like what's next like you you don't even under like i don't understand where youtube can go because it still seems like there's a like this happening in podcasting there's like a one percent that of people that really make it and yeah it's really there's still like a big chasm it's it's not misleading to think that you could launch a youtube channel tomorrow and succeed i mean if because i think you should do that but with podcasting it's it's if i had started my podcast tomorrow you know it wouldn't have done that well but i launched it two years ago and i was an early adopter even back then which wasn't that long ago right um and you were an early adopter as well where you just were curious about the technology Mm -hmm. um so can you talk more about like your general curiosity for like embracing the platform and because i I, what i find like on my podcast is early adoption is like 99 percent of the people i talk to is they have the early adopter gene yeah, <laughs> and it's more like they're not that. just saying, "Hey, I'm first, you know, to use Snapchat." It's no, I'm curious about how tech works and how I can, you know, enable myself to be successful off of it. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I so I built my first website in middle school in like eighth grade. I went to computer camp and learned HTML and C plus plus and. I I got a computer in middle school and um, I saw your draw my life video. Yeah, which is exceptional. Yeah. Like Thanks. essentially, you went and whiteboarded your life and then erased yeah, it and narrated which a, it. Which is a big meme on on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, draw my life is a big thing. Um, and so you I talked got, about like how your I think it was your dad got you the computer. Mm-hmm, my dad got me a computer, and I just I got really interested in it. And I went to this camp and. Um, there was a girl, it was like all boys and like myself and one other girl. It was a really small camp. I think there was like 20 of us and she had a website and I just thought it was so cool. I was like, how, what is this? And she was like, it's my own site. I put up my pictures and whatever. And I thought I, I got to learn how to do this. And so, um, I really focused on learning HTML at camp. And when I got back to school, I built my little site and no one was looking at it. And I was kind of using it as like a digital journal and I kept it all through middle high school wow. college um, I bought my domain when I was in college so I've, I've had my domain for God, 15 years maybe and um, it was just the internet was just always so interesting to me I met so many people I made so many awesome friends online um, and I just thought it was a really cool place to kind of showcase things that I was interested in and I'd always journaled like from a very young age. So um, having a site was kind of like a living journal for me that other people could participate in. And then when YouTube came out when I was a senior in college and I thought like, wow, this is a really cool way to kind of infuse stuff that I'm already really interested in 
um, and, and use this to kind of make content. And so it was really just because I had an interest in making things and, um, and sharing stories as someone who has always wanted to be an actor and was kind of frustrated as a black woman with like the lack of roles that were available for me or the types of roles. I thought, well, the internet is a place where I can kind of make stories and talk about things that are interested, interesting to me and connect with other people. And no one is going to tell me what I can or can't do. And no one's going to try and fit me in a box. I can do exactly what I want. And so, you know, like I said, like you were saying, early adoption in the sense that I, I had no idea where it was going. I just thought it was so cool and interesting. Right. You, like, it piqued your like, your curiosity. And right. then you went, you went out and like, challenged yourself to figure out how to like, express yourself using this tech. Mm-hmm. Which is easier said than done for a lot of people because oh my, yeah, it's frustrating. Absolutely. Like I, I run my website. It's a WordPress blog. I embed my podcasts. I mean just little nagging things that you just put off and you put off. But it's yeah. like, it's but to your point, you've had it since when middle school is when you got your yeah. W? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's I think that that separates like the doers from the dreamers. I feel like so many people say like, oh, my God, I would love this would make a good movie. Like, well, then there's people who have a great movie idea or the great book idea or the great web series idea and they never do anything with it. And they're the people who like get up and figure it out. I totally. And, you know, and it's it's I personally, I get a lot of feedback from my audience asking for advice. And I think a lot of times it's a lot easier to Hello? Hey, Ryan, are you still there? Yeah, I, I, I just, you were about to say something amazing, and I was so excited. Oh, no. <laughs> the advice people get, you, you mentioned that you get people asking for advice. Yeah, okay. I was going to say that people ask me for advice when it comes to starting Like I was literally like hanging on your word because I had something oh, no. that I wanted to say about that. And then I, you Yeah. Left. All right. Well, it's okay. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can redo it. You're I basically back. Was, uh, I was just going to say that I think a lot of times people are quick to just take any obstacle in their way and settle for it rather than figuring out a way to get around it. You know, whether it's my computer's not good enough or my, I don't have a good camera or I don't know how to edit or or whatever it is. And I think that those are all very valid obstacles, but they're the people who say like, I have this obstacle, I'm gonna figure out a way around it or I'm just gonna work through it because there are plenty of YouTubers whose videos the quality is terrible, but the content is really good. You know, there are podcasts where the audio has issues the first 10 episodes, and then by episode 12, they figure it out, and the podcast gets better by leaps and bounds. And no one, that's the, the thing about my podcast is no one even listens to my first 10 episodes anyway. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right? That's like two years ago, and I had a lot of YouTube creators on early, and they were great guests, but no one even listens to them anymore. And so right. it doesn't matter. Like you got to practice when no one's looking because now that I have more listeners, if I make a mistake, people email me, Hey man, that's like a couple of weeks ago. I had a podcast that was looping for like the guy said something and five times in a row it's on a loop. Oh wow. And I was like so embarrassed. And but people emailed me and they said, Hey man, fix your podcast. Um, which is great. You're like, well, people are listening. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that you're awesome. I'm like, thank you. And, but equally, yeah. equally so like those kind of mistakes, you know, I still make them, but in the end, like those first 10 episodes, who cares? You know, it's like, I and you have I, to make those mistakes to learn. That's yeah. the thing too, is you can't, people, people think I have to be perfect right out the Done gate. Done is better than perfect. Well, and people are comparing the other thing. That's the, the great thing about the internet and social media is that we can be inspired by other people and see what they're doing. But the bad thing is, is people then compare their work or their journey to other, everyone else. Cause you can see where everyone else is at and you think like, wow, her web series looks amazing. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't see the first three web series that she did that were terrible and no one watched. You're only looking at you know, this iteration five years later, that's amazing. And everyone has to start at the beginning. You can't skip that stage. Like you just have to start and get over that hurdle of bad audio or camera, camera problems or editing issues or you didn't turn your mic on when you were filming. Like those, those are just things that all of us have to deal with at yeah. some point. 
And um, it just like, teaches you to make yourself better. Like the time I interviewed someone and the, the audio didn't work, but they were my oh, friend. Yeah. And it was like episode oh. number four, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time, all the time. Um, yeah, actually, the, so the, the three steps you know, it, for the influencer economy, you just mentioned one of them. It's, the first one is just start. Mm-hmm. Because unless you're Kanye West, no one cares if you make mistakes. No, that's funny. And, and you but... want to hold your craft when no one's looking and just get better. So one day you just elevate yourself and suddenly, you know, you've had your practice and your reps in ahead of time. The mm-hmm. second step is build community. And that's just like harnessing and collaborating with other creators and people within your community. And then the third step is is be accessible um, IRL and like meet people offline and mm-hmm. go deeper with your community online and say go to events like vidcon or meetups um and try to give your community ownership so they feel like you're a part of um what what you're creating what you're building and i agree with all of that i think you do the third step really well and there's something there and i think you did it right away because oftentimes the internet to your like we talked about this earlier about it's like underserved communities like the roles you were auditioning for necessarily like right. you could just make what you wanted versus trying to audition for something. Um, and like you making videos that resonate with black women about what white girls say to them. Like that's, that's like your people, like they resonate around that kind of a theme. And for me, like I talk about depression on my podcast and I've been depressed before. And so can you speak to a little bit more about how your community collaborates in a way that you feel like you, you don't necessarily represent them, but you help them sort of like feel like someone else is out there. Because you wouldn't see, necessarily see your type of content on TV, and now you do, but maybe right. you know, a couple of years ago you didn't. I mean, I think the biggest thing is like listening to your audience, and you, you kind of mentioned that about being accessible. Um, I think a lot of people, big and small, I see people making this mistake straight out the gate: is they're saying, "Well, why is no one watching my content?" And then I go to their videos, and I'm like, "People have watched and left you comments. You didn't even respond." You know, and they're like, well, it's only a few. And it's like, okay, but those few people are essential to your growth. They're giving you important feedback. And sometimes, sometimes good feedback does not come in a good package, you know, and someone will say something that is really hurtful. But when you actually look at what they're saying, like there is a kernel of truth in there and there's something that is that you need to learn from or make your content better. And for me, I really try to keep my mind open to hear what my audience has to say whether it's encouraging me to explore different subjects or letting me know that I didn't do the best job with a certain topic or I could be more sensitive or I was uh, ill-informed about something. Have you ever yeah. put something out there that you've gotten feedback on that you said, oh, I'm not going to touch that topic anymore? I'm not going to... Um, I haven't had any topics that I, I won't touch anymore, but I've been more conscious about how I talk about certain things. Um, and I can give you an example. Yeah, love one. Um, I think a lot of times, like when we talk about gender, for example, a lot of times women will be like, yeah, every woman with a vagina. And you're just like, awesome. But that's like not really sensitive to the fact that there are lots of different women. There are trans women or people will say things like, yeah, because all girls have periods. And it's like, but not all girls have periods. There are people that have menopause and they don't have periods. Or there are people that are on certain medications and they don't have periods. And so when I try to talk about women or people, I try to stay away from just saying like, hey, guys or guys and girls. I try to be more inclusive and say, hey, friends Mm -hmm. or different types of people or, you know, instead of ladies and gentlemen, I say things like distinguished guest. (laughs) I try to just be a little bit more, (laughs) which I think sounds way better. Brothers and sisters. Yeah. I say, or I say um, boys and girls and everyone in between, you know, and these are things that I had to be made aware of by my audience because they would say like, hey, I really love your stuff, but it's it's hard for me to watch or I feel left out when you kind of go over the fact or smooth, go right past the fact that there are different types of gender identities that exist that maybe don't fit in the spectrum of just strictly male or female. They kind of like uh, float in between or they are more gender fluid or they're trans. And so those are things that I never thought about before. And I think that a lot of times people, when things like that are brought to their attention, they're 
instinct is to get defensive and to be like, well, how dare you? I'm a good person. Like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, okay, well, you don't have to intentionally do something wrong. It, and it doesn't mean that you are wrong. It just means like you have an opportunity to learn something that you didn't know before. Right. Um, and I try to do that personally because that's what I'm asking my audience to do when I talk about race issues, for example, or gender issues. I'm asking them to take a minute and say, here's something I didn't know about and I need to expand my horizons and try to just be a little bit more open to this because it could make me a better person and make the world that I live in a better place. And I would be a hypocrite if I didn't try to do that myself before I asked my audience to do that. So I think just listening to the people who consume your content can just do nothing but make you better at what you do. Yeah, I had this person who emailed me and they said that I talked over my guests and that was their feedback. They said, I like the idea of your show, but you talk over your guests. This is, you know, like a year and a half ago when I was starting out. And I said, oh, really? Like, which episodes did you listen to? I'm curious. You know, I should work on that. That's interesting, you know, to know. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, he talked to this guy, this basketball player, Harrison Barnes, and you just talked over him the whole time. And I was like, okay, that's good to know. I'm, I'm going to listen to that again and see what I did. And then the guy emails me back. He's like, you know what? You actually responded. And I told like five people in my office about your podcast today. That's so cool. And it's like, you know, that guy went from like a hater to someone that, you know, you engage and say, yeah, you're right. Actually, I should think about that more. And like those types of moments, even like when you get negative feedback, if it's thoughtful enough and people have invested in you, then that's like so powerful because the fact that guy took the time to find my email and tell me he didn't like what I was doing shows that he actually gives a shit. And he, yeah. And he wasn't just trolling me, trying to like bait me into some conversation. And he's trying to make your content better. Yeah. It's like, that's the beautiful thing about the internet. It's like you like kind of open up and I used to do stand up comedy and it, you know, it resonated when you said you were doing it for four years. Cause I did it for over two years and, it was a grind. <laughs> and what I yeah. never loved about it, what I love about the internet is that it's everyone's there and you can get do-overs and you can post a video tomorrow or a podcast or a blog post and you move on. But with comedians, you, you just get that one moment with the audience. Right. And you do your set for 10 minutes and then you leave. And it's like there's something about it that's so permanent. Um, but the internet's beautiful because you – I mean you get heck. No one tells you at a comedy club like, hey, excuse me. Um <laughs> That joke isn't very good. They I don't mean, laugh, sometimes they, they do. Or, or they heckle <laughs> Some, you. Sometimes they do. Oh, really? They say that politely? <laughs> I mean, not politely. I mean, it's it's similar to the internet in the sense that people will be like, hey, shut up, <laughs> like, or, or whatever it is. Um, but I do think there's an interesting um, analogy there in the sense that the internet does give you, it does feel like you get a chance to fix, fix the mistake, you know? Um, but at the same time, there is something really awesome about being in front of a live audience and, and the energy that you get from them is very different from when you post video. And I don't know, I, I see good things and bad things about, about both. So I, I, when I did, I did stand up and now I've been heckled. I've been just called out all the time. Like I was in Washington, D.C. and people heckle me like Baltimore and Delaware and all over the East Coast. And then now I, I give PowerPoints or I, I speak – work and i'm like no matter how much of an asshole my boss is i've been heckled in a worse environment so i'm gonna <laughs> make it through this this powerpoint like do you recommend people try stand up at least once even if they're not trying to get into comedy um no i wouldn't say stand up i would say improv would be better because i think improv is definitely more um of a positive and welcoming environment and you don't have to do it by yourself Mm -hmm. um so taking an improv class is great like like you said even if you don't want to be in comedy i think it's just good to learn how to listen and how to yes and and work together with someone and and make the person that you're on stage or you're in a scene with look good i think those are just things that anybody can benefit from whether you're a teacher or whether you need to do public speaking or you work in an office environment where you have to work on projects with other people like learning how to communicate on your feet and think at the top of your intelligence is a skill that everyone can kind of benefit from and uh what what books are you reading now do you have any book recommendations uh, I'm actually reading a really nerdy book called the life-changing magic of tidying up which is about 
how to clean your apartment effectively, but okay. it's also about like cleaning up your life. Okay. Um, and it's really, really interesting. And it's just kind of talking about like looking at the things that you own and the people that are a part of your life and the things that are part of your life and figuring out what is most beneficial to you and what are things that are going to enrich your life and what are things that you're maybe holding on to because of um, your past or... Can you say the title one more time? It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Cool. Yeah, it's really good. And I've, I've had so many friends that have read it and... You know, I love when I go to someone's apartment and it's just so clean and you can tell that they didn't clean before you got there. Like their apartment's just naturally clean. Right. And I want that life because I yeah. don't have that. I don't have that <laughs> Yeah. So I'm reading this book in hopes of getting that life. That's why audio is better because you don't get to see what's behind me in my, my home Oh, office. yeah. Well, and video is great too because I can show you one corner of my apartment and <laughs> have no idea what the rest of it looks like. Uh, what, do you, what is your typical breakfast? Um, on gym days, I try to eat oatmeal. Um, on non-gym days, I might eat like a smoothie or like a bagel or something like that. What, how many times a week do you go to the gym? Uh, I try to go like three days a week. Really? Yeah. And is your motivation to be healthy, to look healthy in your videos? Do you you have, what's your Um, motivation? It's all of those things. I mean, for me, like gym is a a big stress reliever for me. I I love working out um, and I have a trainer and he's so cool and we've worked together for like three years and we have a really great relationship. So I really do like talk to him about my problems while I'm working out. It's like some therapy working out. Yeah. So we kind of have like a therapy thing going on. Um, But also, you know, I want to be in entertainment. So I want to look good um, and feel good about my body, of course. Um, So the gym is part vanity, but also part like mental health for me. Love it. Okay, cool. And then we're going to wrap up. I have one final question. So it's a, it can take a long answer. So getting back to this, new job you have which is awesome for larry wilmore and i watched the piece when you were a guest on his show as a panelist with lewis black oh cool um which was great and the uh like you're like what i love talking about people with people like you is that you're ordinary and i mean that in a completely complimentary way because (laughs) you've done an extraordinary thing with your life and i think a lot of people get caught up in the perfection part of it like we talked about and they don't see that normal people just get cool jobs sometimes because they do the right thing and they play their career right or they focus on the right priorities. So what do you think, you know, you got your – and again, I mean this complimentary. I hope I, I just didn't mm-hmm. say you're, you're so no. ordinary. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I started my podcast and writing my book is because I'm like I, everyone I talk to is pretty normal. You know, it's like the whole aura of – being successful like a Malcolm Gladwell writer or a famous celebrity is no longer like that. Like, what do you think are some, some steps that took you to get this, this awesome job that you have now? Um, I think just kind of being bold and taking risks and not being afraid to put myself out there and say things that are important to me and to kind of, um, keep my morals in the sense that like I've never, I really try to avoid compromising who I am for opportunities. And you know, it's taken me a while to get here in the sense that there have been things that have come my way and I just, they weren't the right fit for me. And I didn't leap at an opportunity just because it was given to me. <laughs> what what do you I, mean by compromising? Um, you know, being parts of shows that had themes that I wasn't uh, okay with or portraying characters that said or did things that what do you think like the, the team at Larry the Larry Wilmore show saw in, in you and your work? Um, I mean, according to them, they saw someone that was smart and funny, and you know that was a huge compliment to me because uh, I took a class one time where the um, teacher asked us to come up with three words to describe our work or three words that they would want we would want people to associate with us or our work, and mine were smart, honest, and funny. And so for Larry Wilmore to say, we hired you because you're really smart and you're really funny and we just want you to be yourself. I thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. This is exactly the right job for me because um, that's what I really try to bring when I'm on stage or I'm in front of the camera. That's is, cool. 
is those three things. Was he the last person you interviewed with? Uh, yeah, it was him and the executive producer. The, the first, my first interview was him and the executive producers. My first and only interview. Um, and so, yeah, from there, it was, was kind of history. And did you have, did you present like a vision of what you saw as a writer or was it more they were seeing if you could? No, they just, it was really, I mean, it was, it was just a meeting, like a get to know you, like what's, what's your vision for life? Like, where do you see yourself? What do you want to do? I mean, I, I really didn't know that I was being interviewed for a job at all. I just thought maybe there's some ways we can work together. Or I could be a guest more often, or I could make some video content, or I could, um, you know, do some sort of collaboration with Decoded. I, I really didn't know what was going to come out of it. And it was really just a conversation about what interests me and um, the work that I'm doing and, and where I see myself and where I'd like to see myself and the types of stuff I'd like to do. I love it. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank uh, you so much for having this me. This has Ryan. been so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. That was Francesca Ramsey. Check her out on YouTube on MTV's Decoded and the nightly show with Larry Wilmore where she is a writer and that was a really fun interview because I actually didn't book her until after I, I booked her before she was on Larry Wilmore and didn't do the interview until afterwards. So it's kind of a nice thing to have to talk about at the end because it's super interesting. She deserves the success that she's had. Make sure you check us out at InfluencerEconomy.com for all the archives. And if you want to leave a review on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button and, and leave that review. It really helps us with discovery, with people randomly finding us on iTunes, and that is the main platform where people listen to content around podcasts. Also, Influencer Economy book. Uh, email me, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com if you want a free copy of the book before it comes out. Thank you very much. Julie and I are having a nice pizza dinner tonight. Mm-hmm.